Thing again, man, he did a great Vanna White impersonation right there, uh, modeling the, the items there. Was, you're getting really good at that, Pastor Jeremy. I'm really proud of you, bro. It's good to see everybody. It's good to be here. For those watching online, I'm so glad you're joining with us. Um, I'm excited to get in God's Word. Indeed, we're going through the book of Romans, and we're titling it Doctrine That Dances. You know, we, we, get the, we do this every week. We come together to sit under the teaching of God's Word, to worship together, to be encouraged because it edifies our faith. If you're like me, there are ways that when we sing, there are things that are happening in my heart that God is doing as I'm singing it that I can't really know how to articulate through mere words. But singing it gets to my heart. The same thing when I'm meeting with other people and conversing. There's a way that, that that ministers to me and I'm able to bless others in ways that's different. And the same thing with teaching of God, the teaching of God's word, to sit under, to be moved and to, to be motivated to follow Jesus. Because we're living in contentious days. And in, as a nation, we're really, we're really battling things on two different fronts, aren't we? On the one hand, we have the struggles of race relations throughout society here in America. And on the other hand, we have the, the political tensions we're undergoing as a country. I mean, we, we realize November 3rd is coming, and, and we don't know what that's going to bring to us as a country, let alone here as a city. And because of that, as a church, we've got to be the kind of people that are anchored in our faith. That we're not just drifting along at the winds, that we're not just coasting, but that we're holding on to what God wants to teach us and be those who make a difference in our culture instead of those who conform to what's going on. Y'all with me on this? And so I'm thankful that we get to understand and sit under God's word. Today, we're going to be talking about something I think is one of the most applicable passages in all the Bible. It is a passage where we read it and we're like, man, I know what this is like. Firsthand. I know what this is like last week, maybe today, maybe it's like this is my everyday reality. Because how many of you say, man, there are times more often than maybe I want to even admit that the things I really want to do, I don't do. Are there things where like, hey, I need to not do this because this is not good, this is wrong, and then you end up doing it? Right? This is the, the daily battle and struggle we are all confronted with. And what God wants to do is teach us that he wants to move in our lives. He wants us to go from wretched to righteous, y'all. He wants to take us from ratchet to redeemed. See, God, God wants to move in our lives in such a way that we can make a difference in the world around us, that we can walk and follow in Jesus. Now, let me tell you about this. This past week, I heard of a, a, a situation in Poland about a World War II missile that was discovered in a canal there in Poland. It was from World War II to dropped in the 1940s by a British airplane. The name of the missile is called a tall boy. A tall boy weighs about 10,000 pounds. It is 21 feet long by about 3 feet wide. The tall boy is something to be feared, and it's different than other kind of ballistics. In fact, where most missiles explode on impact, the tall boy was designed to penetrate the surface from after it is dropped and to explode beneath the surface to send shock waves that will compromise physical structures, buildings, bridges, and other things like that. So there it is, this past week, they discovered this tall boy unexploded, not detonated, in a canal in Poland, y'all. 
And as they're there, they're realizing, like, this thing is dangerous. They had to evacuate the town, and through some ballistic uh, specialists, they were able to detonate the missile, which caused this huge explosion and this large plume. But they were to do it in a safe and secured way that did not cause any injuries. Now, what I thought was so crazy about this is here, this missile, this great bomb, lay dormant beneath the surface for years. And here people were walking around something that could have jeopardized their lives without even knowing it. But it was not until it was discovered and properly detonated that then it was able to be managed. When I think about this, I think how parallel our own sin nature is to this tall boy, church. It is something that dwells within each and every single one of us from the day of our birth. And we might think it lays dormant. We might not be aware of its danger, but all the while it exists beneath the surface and it will and does detonate at different times. You ever have your bomb detonate inside of you? When someone says what they should not have said to you, cut you off on the highway? And so our sin nature dwells within us and it is a danger. It poses a threat to us. And yet we go about each day, sometimes ignoring the fact that it is wreaking havoc in us. What we're going to learn today is how we walk in victory where we who are by birth, ultimately, we're sinful people. We are wretched, but how God wants to make us righteous. And so we're going to take a look at the book of Romans chapter 7, because we all know that lingering struggle of wanting to do one thing but not having the ability to carry it out when it comes to sin, to to resist temptations but feel like we're falling flat. If you're like me, I want to know how to have victory. Y'all want to know how to have victory? Well, let's get to the book of Romans chapter 7, verses 7 to 25. And would you rise to your feet? And if you're at home, would you rise to your feet wherever you're at? Except if you're in your car watching this. And I'm going to read Romans chapter 7, verses 7 to 25. It's a lengthier passage, but I really do want to get it in front of us. And we're going to see what God has to say about how he wants to take us from one place and bring us to another. Here's what it says. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity. Can you say seizing an opportunity? Seizing an opportunity opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. It's dormant. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, he says, seizing an opportunity? Seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Well, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, 
in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. And all God's people say, amen to that, right? For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be law, uh, law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, look at that, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is God's word, church. You may be seated. What a passage, huh? Here we see something that's so true of us. When we know the right thing to do, but find that we have the inability to actually do it. What an aggravating situation we often find ourselves in. You see, in the context of this passage, it talks about how God has set up a law. And God's commands are there to guide us, but we can't ultimately achieve favor with God by doing good things. And so what happens is this constant frustration of failure in our lives. Our passage today is guided by three questions. They show up in verse 7, in verse 13, and in verse 24. And that's going to be ultimately the outline of my passage. We're going to see that God's people have two ways that we respond to God's law. Sometimes we, we, we just uh, reject it and say, I'm going to do my own thing. Or we say, I'm going to try to live by it to gain God's approval. But we're going to learn here that we, these things don't work. We need God. We need something altogether different. And so from the very first verse there in verse 7, a question comes to the surface. If God's law causes me to break it, like we talked about last week, like, when the speed limit says 55, you want to drive 65 or 70, 80, right? And therefore, if that's what the law does, the law's got to be bad because it's making me do wrong. And so notice the question here in verse 7. What, sh- uh, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? This thing does bad things in me. But the answer is no, it's not sin. The law is not a bad thing. In fact, the law is a good thing. It's an it's a example of God's actual kindness to us. Because God knows when we go beyond his law, there will be met with, with a destruction, with injury and death. And so God's like, hey, I'm going to set this boundary and don't cross it because on the other side is danger. That's good. 
But in our sin, we think, well, how close to the danger can we get before getting burned by it? See, the law is a good thing, but what happens is the law does something to us within. And this is what it says in verse, in verse 7. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. To covet is to want something that doesn't belong to you. But sin... Seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Notice what's being said here. What's being said is that the law is not bad, but that sin is opportunistic. Our sin nature is actually an opportunistic manipulator because it takes what is good and twists it for its sinful purposes. God has set a a command, and sin wants us to break it. It takes what is good, and it twists it. It is the problem. It seizes this opportunity to provoke us to want to break God's law. And that's a horrible situation we find ourselves in, enslaved to something that's opportunistic and manipulative. That's a problem, y'all. And so a lot of times we might think, well, then what I need to do is get away from the things that might cause me to sin. I need to hide. In fact, people are the problem. If these people weren't in my life, I'd be a lot more holy, right? And so you start thinking, let me get away from these things because sin is pretty opportunistic. And so we do like a guy named Simeon of Stalites back in the the, the Middle Ages. He was a, 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 a monk who really realized that people were starting to bring him down. So he said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to get away from this. So one day he was on a walk and saw this great pillar that was a remains from an ancient uh, building. And he says, I'm going to climb up this pillar. I'm going to put a platform on the top of it. And I'm going to spend my days up there away from people down here. Because people are overwhelming me with prayer requests. They're coming asking me for counsel. And I can't get my alone time. They're causing me to, to, to trip up. So literally, this is a true story, by the way. Simon built this platform, climbed up there, and had people bring him food through a pulley system. And he did this. He lived up on this platform for 37 years. I don't know how he relieved himself. That's another story. But there Simeon was up there for 37 years thinking if he can get away from people, he can get more holy. But the problem that Simeon ignored, that you and I often ignored, is because he actually took the problem with him. Because the problem wasn't those around. The problem was the person within. It was the sin and its opportunistic manipulation that was within Simeon. So actually, you try to get away from sin, and it seems to have a way of following you because you are the problem. Put it this way. There was a a church father in the 4th, 5th century by the name of Augustine, or St. Augustine is often known by And when he came to Christ as an adult, he reflected on his childhood and his youth. And he remembers this time when he was 16 years old, when he and his buddies were walking by a field nearby. They already saw a pear tree that belonged to one of his neighbors. And they knew that this pear tree was not their own, but they conspired amongst each other to pick pears from this tree to steal them. So they went ahead and stole these pears. They went off and ran away and they took the pears and they threw them to the ground and fed them to the pigs. And as he became an adult, and as he trusted in Jesus, he reflected on his incident with the pears, and he thought, you know, why did I do that for? I didn't need the pears. In fact, 
We had plenty of food at home. And when I stole the pears, I didn't eat them. And as he reflected on it, he says, I stole the pears because I knew the command said I shouldn't steal the pears. And my sin nature, seeing a law, was provoked to want to break it. And so I did it. That's, that's some good introspection. When God has set up his commands, our sin nature wants to break it. And he uses the example of coveting, of wanting what's not yours. And he says, sin, in verse 8, through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Because here's the ultimate problem. It wasn't just that he wants and we want to covet, but is that we want to be people who do all kinds of coveting. We are actually quite creative in our sin. You and I are creative in our coveting. When God says, don't covet, don't, don't uh, d- desire that which is not yours, we begin to covet possessions. I need that new Tesla they've got, right? We start coveting someone's success. I need that promotion she received. We covet their gifts. I wish I had that person's talents. We covet their spouse. If only my husband was like her husband. We covet their wealth. I need the money they have in order to do the things I want to do. We covet someone's respect. When am I going to get the respect that they're getting? All kinds of covetousness is awakened in us because God says don't, have, don't covet. And sin, taking advantage, twisting with what is good, causes you and I to go and long for the things that don't belong to us. And here's the problem. This is just one example. I do not covet. But we do the same with lust, with lying, with theft. And it goes down the list. We are creative in our breaking of God's law. And the problem ultimately is this in verse 9. He says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and died. And I died. Notice how he says that in verse 10. The very commandment that promised life Proved to be death to me. How did God's law promise life? Well, if you can obey God's law perfectly from your your birth, then you can be with God in eternity because you'll be perfect. So it promised life, but it brings death because you got a tall boy nuclear missile inside of you. It's sin. And so here we are in this horrible plight, enslaved to something that is opportunistic, creative, and manipulative. This is pretty bad, isn't it? But there's more. It gets worse. Because in addition to that, Paul now asks another question. He says in verse 13, notice, did that which is good then bring me death? Like, if God's law is good, but now it condemns me. And I should die spiritually, and I'm going to die physically. So you say the law is good, but is the law then what gives me death? I mean, you, you see the line of reasoning here. Like, how, how is this a good thing, God, you given this law? Because it gave me sin, now it's brought for death. Is, is your law the problem? And Paul says, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. God's law shows sin's true colors. Let me put it this way, church. We, we see it for what it is and what it wants to do, its intentions. The sin nature that lives inside of you, this is what its intentions are at the end of verse 13. 
through the commandment, might become sinful beyond measure. Your sin nature wants you to be sinful beyond measure. Like, how do you measure sin? By pounds? Ounces? Degrees? It's ingrained in us. It is in us as much as creamer is in coffee, and you can't remove the creamer from the coffee once it's in it. Sin is inside of you in the same way, intermingled in your being. Ultimately, what Paul wants to understand is that you and I can't compete with our sin nature. You can't compete with it. It wants to make you sinful beyond measure. In verse 14, it says that you are sold under sin. The problem with you is that you and I are far too human. That's our problem. And then in verse 18, it says that, he says, I know that nothing good dwells in me. Like, this is where we're at. This is controversial in our day and age. But in order to get to the good part, and it's coming, we need to understand this difficult truth. And I'm just going to tell you it. Nothing good dwells in you apart from Jesus. Nothing good dwells in you apart from Jesus. Now, it's not to say that you have no capacity of doing good things, but it's saying nothing good dwells. The word dwell there is the idea of taking residency in you. Goodness does not look at you and say, I'm coming home right now. Goodness is not part of the fabric of our being apart from Jesus. We are all too human. And then Paul says in verse 15, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And then he says again in verse 18, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So sin's intention is to make you so sinful you can't even do the right right thing that you desire to do. Our situation worsens as we get from verse to verse. This is bad, church. So what this means is you could determine in your heart to do the right thing, but by your own strength, you have no capacity to follow through on it. So when you pull into the office tomorrow and you park your car and you think to yourself, I'm not gossiping today. I'm not going to do it. It's wrong. I'm not doing it. And you get into your office and someone's like, man, did you hear what happened to that? You're like, what? Well, tell me about it, right? Like that. Because you know it's the wrong thing, but it's going to lure you in. When you leave the house tomorrow, you might say, I'm going to guard my eyes. I'm not going to let myself lust upon another person. I'm not going to let myself cause my eyes to wander and bounce and dance about from person to person. When you go to that coffee shop, you frequent. When you go to your workplace or wherever it is, you could determine in your heart that that's not what you want to do. But when you get there by your own strength, your lust will arise and you're going to find yourself staring, looking, glancing, justifying in your mind because you don't have the power to kill your own sin. It means when you think when you go into office and you know your supervisor is going to throw your department under the bus and you're like, I'm not going to blow up. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm going to hold my tongue this time. And then it happens, you got the meeting at 10, they say, oh, this department has done a horrible job and boom, it pops, right? You say something you wish you wouldn't have said because you don't have the capacity to hold your tongue. 
Or when you say, you know what, I'm going to tell the truth this time. I've been holding a secret for far too long, and you go to that individual to, to fess up your secret, and right when you're about to speak, you say another lie to hold the secret that you've been holding. You see, you might know what you want to do and the right thing to do, but here the Bible's telling us you don't have the ability to carry it out. And this is aggravating, isn't it? When you come home after a long day, you say, God, I did it again. I woke up today saying today was going to be different, but it wasn't. Or maybe you're like, man, I had a good moment. There was that one time I, I looked away or that one time I spoke the truth, but these other 12, I didn't. You see, our problem is that we can have minor victories here and there against our sin nature. We can have these, these upsets where we beat the more uh, the more, the better uh, prepared team. In sports, you, you see upsets from time to time. But they're called upsets because the lesser team can't sustain that caliber of play over a long period of time because then they'll be the favored team. When it comes to our competition against sin, sin is the better team. Sin is stronger, faster, and smarter than us. And there might be that rare occasion where you bit your tongue so hard and you didn't say what you wanted to say and you're like, I got a victory. You enjoy the moment, but then you know 10 defeats are coming right after it. Because 10 out of 11 times, sin will win. This is the frustrating plight we find ourselves in. And only to make it worse, let me give you this example. Even when you think you've done something good, let's say you've been generous to somebody, you, bought, you, you gave them some money or you bought them groceries, and by your own strength, you're like, man, this has been great, I did a good deed. You walk away, and in your sinful nature, what it wants to do is say, man, I hope they tell somebody what I did for them. Or you start going back thinking, you know, I'm a really great person, aren't I? God's going to be really pleased with me now. If only other people were as kind as I was, this world would be a better place. And so we start thinking in our minds, and what began as a really kind and good gesture has now revealed the sin that's actually inside of our hearts. Sin has raised false humility. It has made you self-righteous. It has made you people-pleasing. And before you know it, you're like, I am a big mess here. This is why Paul says here in verse 21, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. It is that person who follows you everywhere you're going. Like, won't they get away from me? Sin's like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. And the moment you do something good, I'm going to twist it because I'm an opportunistic manipulator. And you are no match for me. This is the plight we find ourselves in. I hope you're starting to feel really bad right now, by the way. Uh, having my notes here, like, make them feel bad at this point, right? Make them feel how horrible things are, how, how jacked up you and I really are. And we've got to acknowledge this to be true. We're as jacked up as the city of Chicago. In fact, yesterday I saw this headline that the city of Chicago, watch this, for the sixth year in a row is the leading city in America known to be the most rattiest city in America for the sixth year in a row. Let me put it this way. We are the most rat-infested city in America for the sixth year in a row. Come on, man, Chicago, right? This is according to Orkin. 
And one of Orkin's specialists who tries to help them get better at pest control says this about rats. It says, rodents are experts at sniffing out food and shelter. And they're resilient in their ways to obtain both. Residential properties offer the ideal habitat for rodents. And once they've settled in, they're capable of reproducing rapidly and in large quantities. That's in your backyard, y'all. This is almost an identical description of your sin nature. Sin is an expert at sniffing out food and shelter. It is resilient in its obtaining of both. Residential properties tend to be its favorite place. That's you. And it's capable of reproducing rapidly and in large quantities. Sin has spread to every fabric of our beings, and we are desperately lost. But here's what goes on. Because I mentioned our three questions in this text, one in verse 7, one in verse 13. The one in verse 13 told us that we cannot compete with our sin nature. But in verse 24, we find something else out. Actually, in verse 23, he says, I see in my members another law waging war. There's a war going on within us. And in verse 24, Paul throws his hands in the air like you might be thinking, saying, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, there's a question. Wretched person that I am, where am I going to find hope? The word wretched means miserable. That's you and me. That I am, the problem's personal. Who will deliver me from my impulse to gossip? Who will deliver me from my lustful eyes and my lustful mind? Who will deliver me from my fits of anger? Who will deliver me from my deceitful lips and my callous heart that just doesn't care anymore? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Your body is a body of death. You are driving a car without brakes. You are on a train that's track is running out. You're in a plane without landing gear. You are a body of death, a body that cannot cross the threshold of heaven on your own. It's too jacked up and it's too broken down. You might have the appearance of good, but inside you are ratchet, and wretched. What do we do? Well, Paul answers this question in verse 25. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And here we go, church. How to go from wretched to redeemed. Look what he says. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a but God kind of moment. I don't know about you guys, but I want to hear about this deliverer. This one who could deliver me from this body of death. This one who could deliver you from this body of death. Do you want to know about this deliverer, church? Do you want to know about this one who can bring you from ratchet to righteous, from wretched to redeemed? There is a deliverer, 
and his name is Jesus. He is Jesus the Christ. The word Christ is the Greek word for the, for the Hebrew Messiah. The word Messiah simply means deliverer. It's part of who he is. Jesus is a deliverer, and he has come to this earth to subdue sin, church family. He has come to this earth to make sin bow down to his authority. He has come to muzzle sin's bark, to tame sin's bite. This is the deliverer. I want to tell you about this deliverer of ours, church family. Let me tell you about the one who delivered the disciples from death in that stormy boat. Let me tell you about the one who delivered the demon-possessed man from the grip of Satan. Let me tell you about the one who delivered the paralyzed man from his illness, who delivered the woman at the well from her relational shame, who delivered the woman of the city from her promiscuous guilt. Let me tell you about our deliverer from this body of death, church family. Jesus can break the chains of generational sin. Jesus can correct the motives of your heart. Jesus can purify your actions and purify your eyes and purify your lips and purify your hands and purify your feet and your heart. He can deliver you from sin. He can deliver you from the wrath of God that you and I deserve. Jesus can deliver you from eternal death and Jesus can deliver you from you. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is what our Savior has done for us. Because the Bible tells us that where we can't follow God's law perfectly, where it condemns us, though it is good, Jesus came to this earth and obeyed God's law perfectly. So therefore, the law could not condemn Jesus. And he who was perfectly man and perfectly God was able to go to a cross and therefore die as a man and redeem as God could only do. And on that cross, he would take your sin and my sin and it will cloak his shoulders so that he looked to the Father and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father turned his back on his son because he carried our sin. But when we put our faith in Jesus, we are then united with Christ. So that glorious exchange takes place where he unrobes us of our sin and robes us with his righteousness. So that Paul could say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who lived for me and died for me. This is what Jesus did. And so when you and I, through faith in Jesus, and that's the only way, through faith in Jesus, are united with him, when Jesus lived, you lived. So that when Jesus died, you died. And when Jesus was buried, the old you was buried. So that when Jesus was raised, the new you has been raised. And when Jesus is glorified, you have been glorified and will meet your Savior in glory one day. Is there an amen in this place, church? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this opportunistic manipulator that, is no, that I am no match for? Well, just as sin, as I am no match to compete with sin, sin can't compete with your Savior. Amen. 
Sin can't compete with your Savior. He is too great and too good. Nothing compares to Jesus. Paul acknowledges there as this chapter closes. He says, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh, I serve the law of sin. He's acknowledging that there is indeed remaining a war within us all. Yes, the old you has died if you've put your faith in Jesus. But that doesn't mean the sin nature is gone. But what it means is the sin nature now wages war against the Spirit of God who dwells within you. And there is a battle taking place. But I want you to know something. A malnourished army has no chance against a well-fed army. There is a war in your soul, and who is being best nourished? Is it the law of sin and death that you feed every day? Or is the law of God powered by the Holy Spirit that you walk in every day? Jesus can take you from wretched and ratchet to righteous and redeemed. But it all happens by faith. Would you believe in him today, church? Would you put your faith and say, God, I am sorry for my sins. I need you, God. I've tried to keep the law by myself. I just can't do it anymore. I'm going to turn from my sin, that's repentance, and turn to you in faith. And when you do, you have been redeemed. And you now, in God's sight, are declared righteous. This is a hope we have. Though sin might lay and appear to lay dormant, it is there, church. It is explosive. And just as that tall boy would want to destroy buildings and bridges, sin would want to destroy our bridge to God. But Jesus has crossed that bridge and made a way. Would you trust him today? If you are a follower of Jesus, church family, walk in victory. Walk by the power of the Spirit. When you fall on your face and sin, you come back to your Savior and you ask for forgiveness. You repent and guess what? He forgives you. He says, get back up, follow me and walk by my strength. He alone can do this work. And church, I pray that we would walk with this. Walk with this hope, with our confidence, not based on what we can accomplish, but based on what's been accomplished for us. That we would not try to earn God's love, but that we live because we've been uh, loved by God. This is what he offers, and this is what he calls us to do, church. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Now, when it feels like we're just so frustrated and want to give up in the midst of the daily battles we face. Thank you that today we are reminded that yes, there's a war that wages in us, but that we can have victory through Jesus Christ. God, thank you that we don't have to live as slaves to sin, but we can call you master. So I pray for for every Christian in this room, for every person who knows Jesus watching online, that we will walk in the identity that was accomplished by Jesus, free, empowered, victorious. For any God who are here today who have yet to raise that white flag, I pray, God, that they would just say, God, I've had enough of doing things by myself. I need you so badly. That they would trust in you, 
give their life to you and be changed by you. So Lord, we confess our deep need for you. We confess how our need for you is moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. And we thank you, God, that you don't grow tired of us. So we lean into you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're thankful that you've been redeemed, I want to hear this room echo with praise. I want this prayer that we're about to sing resound in this place like we believe it. So would you stand to your feet and let this be the cry of your heart as we close. God, that we would trust you, that we would know that when we fall, you're there to pick us up, that when we cry out. You are there for us, Lord. Thank you. You're so relentless, God, where sin seems like it's so deep and so persistent and so aggressive. God, you are greater. You are stronger. And thank you, God, that you don't grow tired of your goodness in our lives. Oh, God, we thank you, Lord. We are just filled with gratitude this morning, and we want to go out with your strength, God, to the week ahead, no matter what comes our way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give our God a hand clap? Yeah. Hallelujah. Go out in God's strength this week, church. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be our glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, both now and forever. Amen, amen, amen. Go out with his strength. You are dismissed. We'll see you outside. God bless you.